So I'll give a reading this evening. This is from the Numerical Sayings. It's in the Numerical Discourses, the Book of the Nines. It's the third sutta, the Book of the Nines. Number three. This is an extract from this. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammasam buddhasa namo tassa bhagavato arahato sammasam buddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato rahato samma sambuddhasa buddhang dhammang sangang namasami So Buddha is talking to a young disciple of his called Megya. Megya, when liberation of mind has not matured, five things lead to its maturation. What five? Here Megya, Bhikkhu has good friends, good companions, good comrades. When liberation of mind has not matured, this is the first thing that leads to its maturation. Again, a Bhikkhu is virtuous, he dwells restrained by the Patimokha, that's the training rules, possessed of good conduct and resort, seeing danger, in minute faults, having undertaken the training rules, he trains in them. When liberation of mind is not matured, this is the second thing that leads to its maturation. Again, a bhikkhu gets to hear at will, without trouble or difficulty, talk, concerned with your austere life that is conducive to opening up the heart. That is, talk on fewness of desires, on contentment, solitude, not getting bound up with others, and arousing energy on virtuous behavior, concentration on wisdom, on liberation, and on the knowledge and vision of liberation. When liberation of mind is not matured, this is the third thing that leads to its maturation. Gainapiku has aroused energy for abandoning unwholesome qualities and acquiring wholesome qualities. He is strong, Firm in exertion, casting off, not casting off the duty of cultivating wholesome qualities. When liberation of mind is not matured, this is the fourth thing that leads to its maturation. Gainabhikkhu is wise, he possesses the wisdom that discerns arising and passing away, which is noble and penetrative and leads to the complete destruction of suffering. When liberation of mind has not matured, this is the fifth thing that leads to its maturation. When Megya Bhikkhu has good friends, good companions, good comrades, it can be expected of that he will be virtuous. When the Bhikkhu has good friends, good companions, good comrades, it could be expected of him that he will get to hear at will without trouble with a difficulty talk concerned with your austere life. Conducive to opening up the heart. 
poor confuness of desires. When Bhikkhu has good friends, good companions, good comrades, it can be expected of him that he will arouse energy for abandoning unwholesome qualities, not casting off the duty of cultivating wholesome qualities. When a bhikkhu has good friends, good companions, good comrades, expected of him that he had been wise, possessing the wisdom that discerns the arising and passing away, which is noble and penetrative and leads to the complete destruction of suffering. Having based himself on these five things, because you develop further another four things, Perception of unattractiveness should be developed to abandon lust. Loving kindness should be developed to abandon ill will. Mindfulness of breathing should be developed to cut off thoughts. The perception of impermanence should be developed to eradicate the conceit, I am. When one perceives impermanence, the perception of non-self is stabilized. One who perceives non-self eradicates the conceit, I am, which is Nibbāna in this very life. So, as with many of the Buddha's exhortations, this huge amount in in quite a compressed form, any one of these pieces you could take and chew over and talk about for a long time clearly when the Buddha met people, this might be you know in some cases they might not see him very often, so I think he felt whenever people talked to him he'd give them the whole thing because he might not see him for another two or three years so, you know, he's something to be getting on with (laughs) Uh, I can't go into all of this, but I'd like to point out a few uh, features uh, at this time in our gathering together at this time in our gathering together we are still gathering, we're still settling, I suggest still you know, getting used to being here you know, change of routines, getting up early meditating, changing our rhythm, our energies from say high speed talking, doing stuff into steady, quieter, steady state energy. This is, means it's quite a lot of shifting has to occur to do that. And so at this time, so you gathering together and generating the conditions that will support um, further penetration and understanding. This is what pointing to at this time. You know, as I said before, this is a a Dhamma retreat. It's not exclusively a Vipassana retreat, or a Jhana retreat, or a Metta retreat, or even a meditation retreat. These are all part of it. Any one of these will fit into it. You know, some of it will fit into it. Um, it's a double retreat, uh, establishing something, and essentially establishing a broad foundation. Partly because, for many of you in your daily life, 
know, although your intentions may be strong, clear, um, the um, you're not living in an atmosphere or a, uh, a society or we could say a field of Dharma. You're not living in a situation where readily and at will, you know, you can receive dhammic input from the world around you. Maybe one or two of you are, but I imagine many of you are receiving non-dhammic input. <laughs> it doesn't uh, conducive to the cessation of suffering. It doesn't uh, uh, penetrate, uh, liberate the heart from uh, suffering, but actually does the opposite. So, considering the conditions that support this. And the repeated theme in this, for starting saying the maturation, something has to not exactly be done, but to grow. The proper term that we use is kumpawana, which means to cultivate. The word meditation itself is one of those English words that's got plight placed onto Buddhist practice, and it's really meditation, really a Christian um, thing, whereby you repeatedly bring up an image of, of Jesus or stages of the cross or something like that. It means to me, meditate means to repeat, repeat, repeatedly put something in your mind. Um, yeah. So, actually, Buddhist mind cultivation is rather broader than that. Yeah, it's about putting things into mind. It's also about receiving experiences. And so, one of the first things we receive is maturation, is a supportive company. And this theme runs throughout this discourse. And in fact, it's one of the reasons why the discourse was given, because this. Megia was rather young, inexperienced, he wanted to go off and practice on his own, he didn't want to be attending to the Buddha. He was supposed to be the Buddha's attendant. He got fed up with washing the Buddha's robes, he wanted to go off and do some serious practice. So the Buddha said, no you can't, and after two or three times he kept insisting, he said, okay, go do what you need to do. Megia went off. On his own, he found himself completely overwhelmed with unwholesome thoughts. He came running back to the Buddha. <laughs> the Buddha said, "Look, you know, you should stick around with noble friends because, you know, uh, you go out there on your own. You don't have the conditions and causes aren't, aren't established in your mind." So the first of these, the thing that runs throughout this, is Kalyanamita. Mita, associate, a friend, it's, it's not exactly meta, but it's clearly, you know, something of that nature. There's a sense of camaraderie, companionship, friendship. Kalyana, a word that means beautiful, admirable, lovely. The Dhamma itself is called Kalyana. Kalyana in the beginning, Kalyana in the middle, Kalyana in the end. It's, it's, it's uplifting, it's gladdening, it's lovely something we want. So these are friends and the companions who touch your heart, who inspire, who gladden, who encourage, 
who um, comfort you when you're in stress, who gladden you when you're feeling miserable, encourage you when you're feeling down, point out things you haven't understood when you need to have them understood. And so they care for you. And it's not a sentimental care, it's a, it's a sense of compassion and care for your chitta. So it's not just a social chum, social friend, but actually someone who's caring for your, for your welfare. So this, this being in this condition, this basic condition, and this condition is the prevalent um, condition runs throughout this sutta, and this is why, of course, you know, in Buddhist cultivation, you know, Sangha means gathering the assembly. You know, it's people of like-minded who can encourage, gladden, inspire, comfort, restrain, point things out. You know, so, so we need that. Now, one thing you know, to bear in mind is, is you know, a lot of us practice with the idea of what we're doing, you know, we're trying to bring our minds back, we're trying to control our minds, we're trying to get rid of unwholesome thoughts, you know, we want to get into stronger concentration, we want to do meditation, uh, we want to, you know, we feel we can't do it because uh, these t- difficult feelings keep happening, we feel lonely and sad or critical and we can't so it's really struggling against all these unskillful, unhelpful conditions. And we try and we try and we try and we get tired of trying and we give up. Then <laughs> we still feel miserable. So you try again. But what's happening is you don't have the supportive conditions. The primary supportive condition is this Kalyanamita and the Kalyana quality. It means not something we do, but something we associate with, we draw close to, we associate with. So in fact we receive something. So it's a different sign, isn't it? As I might have mentioned somewhere along the last couple of days, there's the active aspect, what we do, and we say there's also the receptive aspect, what we receive. They're both equally important. But in the receptive aspect, it's quiet, open, we drink in. And it's important to cultivate this so that we can absorb the skillful, notice it, give it time to ripen and settle. And with that, this is how wisdom arises. Wisdom arises in those times when we pause, settle, and we contemplate how is that we're not doing anything more really than just exploring or inquiring or receiving you know how how the heart how the mind is now and this is so this wisdom occurs more in the receptive aspect uh, and having cultivated some degree of discernment some degree of clarity some degree of understanding that was not beautiful that led to pain. That felt better. Then, okay, now my direction has been clarified. Now I do this. Because I've seen something, now I do this. I've directly seen myself a supportive condition, an unsupported condition. I've chosen 
that I'm going that way. Then we do. And we do, and then you, what's the results of that? Is that work? Yeah, that's pretty good, but perhaps a little bit less of this, more of that. So this is where you train yourself. So just to bear in mind, that would be the two qualities, doing and the receptive, doing and receiving. Now, so in the Buddha, Kalyanamita is a very clear example of associating with receiving uh, sense of people or, or living in an atmosphere where there's a sense of something is concerned for your welfare, you know, that quality. And so this associate with that. Now on another occasion the Buddha uh, presented uh, what called the four conditions for stream entry. So stream entry is a very uh, secure foundation for Dhamma practice. It means we've, we've freed up we've got our feet on the right ground, we're going the right direction. And so, in stream entry, a huge amount of coarse suffering is finished. So a mountain of coarse suffering, suffering of self-criticism, confusion, worry, grief, it's really heavy stuff. And what's left is a kind of refined, more tenuous forms of suffering. You don't even really, they don't even feel like suffering actually could bear with the stuff you've been through. <laughs> you know, like attachment to fine mind states is not particularly anguished. <laughs> so it's, it's actually the rest of it is fairly, fairly refined. So the stream interest to do a lot of work on digging through some pretty heavy suffering and stress. Yeah? So the four conditions for that, said Buddha said, this is called the breakthrough. So you've shifted this lot, you've done a lot of really good work that will always pay off for you. And the four supports for that are to hear the Dhamma, to uh, practice in line with the Dhamma, to have Kalyanamitta, skillful friends and associates, and to have careful attention, deep attention, wise attention. Yogi Somni Sikara, I mentioned this factor before. So these are the four supports, four conditions. And if you look at that further, you can consider, well, okay, so where do you hear the true Dhamma from? Kalyanamita. <laughs> yeah. And how do you practice in line with Dhamma? Through careful attention. Right. So really, you can almost say it comes down to those two factors. Yeah, so Kalyanamita, people you get some guidance from, true guidance from, who present, encourage, model, uh, skillfulness, various aspects of it. So you receive that and it gives you the inclination to carefully attend in line with what you received pick it up, discern what's meaningful for you at this time and choose how you want to focus your intention.
or mindfulness of breathing and just notice here again this example the Buddha uses well, you, okay then you can meditate but it gives us four themes not one there you so we have this unattractiveness to dispel raga passion often associated generally associated with passion for the body for the attractive or what seems to be the attractiveness of the body uh, mindfulness of breathing to dispel um, this um, turbulent thoughts thinking processes distracting running out mind running out and um, loving kindness goodwill to dispel various forms of ill will and then the perception of impermanence to eradicate this conceit the shadow builder I am that which builds the shadow conceiving looking back and conceiving oneself to be something so each of these is indeed worthy of consideration so what I'll say primarily is that these so what he's saying is these are skillful means you can pick up but to pick it up you associate with good with the wise with good people and you associate you drink it in and then you from that you apply careful attention so you can bring it down to two factors careful attention and kalyanamitta you can even bring it down to one factor <laughs> because the kalyanamitta is essentially the careful attention of another person right it's their careful attention that's, I think this is probably sounds like what you might be helped with is this that's careful attention in that case it's coming from the other person but still you have pick it up so really careful attention and Kalyanamita almost like mirror images of, its, of each other understand? Kalyanamita gives you careful attention careful attention is the essence of what you of what the, what's coming in yeah? the encouragement to sustain that so these really are internal and external aspects of the same quality therefore we should always abide with this quality of careful attention even when we don't have Kalyanamita physically around us then we uh, listen to we recollect and we relate to our minds and our bodies with a process of careful attention it's steady it's uh, looking at what is helpful now what is needed now and the Buddha presents four possibilities and these you you know there are more actually but these are four good possibilities but essentially each of those is themselves not this is we must do this no this is to counteract that yeah. so everything of these is about conditionality it means if this condition pertains then practice that if this condition is dominant practice that yeah. Yeah. 
So another one you could practice Maranasati, contemplation of death. One is intoxicated with a sense of the future and progress and success. Remember we could die tonight, what happened to the future then? So there's another one you can pick up. All of these then are, you can see, are like medicines to combat particular ailments. So Kalyanamita, care for attention, says, what really is right now what's needed? What's helpful now? That's, that already, that question already is called loving kindness. It's not saying, you need to do this, you need to do that, this is, you should get on and practice this, that and the other. It's not what do you need? Now that question, that attitude is already a quality of goodwill, isn't it? I'm caring for you, what's helpful. So then just bearing this in mind, so that we're looking at foundational things, so you could very well think, well, I don't know, Ajahn teaches this, but then the Sayadaw teaches that, and Venerable teaches this, and I read this in a book, and oh, yeah, they were saying different things, I'm getting confused, what should I do? And, well, what, 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 what do you need? Sounds like you need um, something um, very simple to, 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 to ground yourself, to... to uh, they're all. Everybody's trying to offer you some support. What is not, which is the right one, but which is appropriate now. It's like you go into a restaurant. You don't have to eat every dish in the restaurant. Say so, you know, today, I just have some salad. I've got nothing, no problems with pizzas, but today, salad is what I feel. This works for me. You have to eat everything. <laughs> you know, tomorrow it might be pizzas, but today it's salad. Okay? What do you need? What's helpful? I don't know. Uh, okay. So maybe one. So then I think you perhaps need to just sit quietly and steady and get very basic and not do too much, but settle. So that this question, this possibility of of careful attention, this possibility of a a caring quality, can penetrate the mind. Get to the point. Now if you looked at these these particular uh, uh, conditions and meditation systems the Buddha's um, presenting. You know, we have lust, okay, distracting thought, ill will, and conceit I am. Now, do you have one, did you present one called work-related stress? doesn't seem to be there, does it? Perhaps in the 5th century BC India they weren't all jumping into their cars and zooming off to work, uh, commuting in a hurry, looking at their smartphones as they were going along. 
So maybe when we ask that question, we're not having to deal with lust or other things. We're dealing with just huge, impacted, over-energized, over-stimulated, stressed out minds. Maybe this is a condition that you would say, oh yes, I don't know what I need, but I know what the sickness is. So you may not know the cure, but do you know the the ailment? (laughs) The ailment may be just stressed, tired, busy, busy mind, busy. So then, well, question of Kalyanamita says, well, I think what you need to do is not do very much at all, actually. Just keep it really simple because you're you're burnt out, and you're always aiming to get everything done so you've got this pattern so you should in fact counteract that with qualities and encouragement to not have to get things done because that's your illness could be the hurry up get this done quality of mind yeah so what's needed then perhaps to not hurry up and get things done to uh, get the energy in your body to settle the energy in your mind to just be more contented to soften a little to take things slowly to not be in a hurry even to get your meditation going perhaps this is helpful so as a Kalyanamita, as I find myself, say, in this attitude, Kalyanamita, and these are this may this is a theme that I recognise in people, and so you know, you, you can, you, by all means, if it's not relevant to you, then nobody's going to stop you doing mindfulness of breathing, thirty-two parts of the body. Go right ahead, you know. But um, maybe there's another problem here. And the other uh, feature that um, I would say is quite common uh, for for people, partly in the same area as this work-related stress, is just a lack of goodwill towards themselves. It's because the nature of the intense doing and getting things done does not support spending time being compassionate and kind to yourself in fact it spends time directing yourself towards higher goals and achievement rather than accepting yourself as you are so maybe this is something to encourage So, as you bear these things in mind, so this nature of this field, this congregation, this gathering, is to create an atmosphere whereby you are encouraged to not have to get results, not have to, you know, be perfect to things, but to experience a sense of general, gentle 
encouragement, companionship, and, and uh, listen to Dhamma. And then you see, as you explore, as you settle into this, what's really needed, what's helpful, what's lacking. And you'll pretty soon you'll notice. As you sit quietly, you notice the mind struggling. It needs companionship. It needs support. It needs, say, a, found, a firm foundation. So it's okay, then practice mindfulness of body. Body gives a firm foundation. It's critical. And the quality of ill will has various features to it. There's direct aversion to others, also so aversion to oneself. This aversion to yourself could be you criticize and fault find yourself, about yourself, or also that you imagine that other people do. Or you only notice the times when people have been critical and you don't notice the times when they haven't. So in this way, we, this quality of ill will selects particular features to emphasize. So it's not just a, 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 like a particular directed ill will, it's also a mind state that's, that seeks, in a strange way, it looks around for something to find fault with. Curious piece of psychology, isn't it? And pretty soon, something wrong with me, something wrong with her, and something wrong with saying there's something wrong. I shouldn't be so critical. I'm such a complainer. So, you know, this, this quality comes up because the atmosphere of befriending, loving acceptance has not been generated. We've been lost. It's not matured. And we've lost touch with it. In, in a driven world, you can't say that loving acceptance is the, is the normal standard. It's normally not loving acceptance, but, uh, you know, achieve something, perform something, be good at something. You only get some praise if you do really well, otherwise you get ignored or criticized. That can be more the, the, um, the uh, atmosphere in which one lives. Or you feel you've got to live up to what? Your grandfather, your parents, your uncle, your sister, your husband, your wife expects of you. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so on it goes. Yeah. How about living up to the Nayaris? Critics, huh? Living up to the Nayaris. What isn't about that, them? Isn't that also making oneself to be better? From to live according to the vinya you have a lot of patience and uh, nobody lives to live according to the vinya means acknowledging carefully where one has transgressed and understanding it 
So it doesn't mean constantly being critical, it means assessing clearly when one's mind has slipped away, noticing it. Uh-huh. That's how I got mistaken. That's where it came in. Ah. So wise supervision. Now, if one is so, of course, you can take these training rules and beat yourself up for not being pure or perfect. But um, you do if you. So some people actually won't even take them up because they're so frightened of how neurotic they'll get. Because <laughs> you can't accept the fact that you could make a mistake. If you want to keep the, so you want to train, you've got to be prepared to make lots and lots and lots and lots of mistake. Because it's only through making mistake and understand it that you can clear the causes and conditions. Yeah. The, the, because the reality of it is a lot of our confusions and delusions we're not even really that aware of their sources, their roots. So they happen when one is careless. Things happen. So then you gradually through noticing that you recognize and you take steps to be more careful. So of all the training rules and some of the, um, one of the great monks of the previous century, Ajahn Mun, who was reputedly an enlightened arahant. He said, all the training rules, and there, of course, there is something, you know, 227 in the bhikkhu, over 300 bhikkhu in the bhikkhuni rules, and that, that isn't all, I'll tell you, there's a lot more refined stuff that you can go on about, probably a thousand at least, a little piece of protocol. And you look at it, oh my goodness me, oh no. And he said, I only keep one rule. It's called watch the mind. <laughs> that covers it all. <laughs> that's the way to do it. <laughs> and learn to, okay, that's where I make a mistake. Yeah, pick it up. And love the purity, love the goodness. It's not about hating the evil, it's about loving the good and feeling the blessing of the good kalyana quality of the Dhamma so when we use a word like kalyana as Dhamma it's got this nuance it doesn't just mean true it means good, beautiful, lovely and something must have felt sense of something we'd rather uh, admire, appreciate so one discards the unwholesome because it feels ugly, tawdry, miserable, unworthy and we pick up the wholesome because it feels, looks, seems beautiful so therefore that root condition of being introduced to the Dhamma is something beautiful and rather than thinking, well I couldn't do that because I'm such a you know, corrupted, deluded being so just introduce, associate with and then one little piece you can pick up say, okay, this piece of behaviour I can stop doing that 
I can't stop my mind wandering, but I can stop cheating and lying. Good, start there. And you do that long enough, purity builds up, mindfulness builds up, sila gives a foundation, then I get a sense of honour and self-respect, because now I can also think, I think all this sensuality is a little bit beneath me actually, so I can give that up. Didn't think I could do that, but this is what's called ripening and maturing. You start with what you can do, get it so it's something that you really enjoy and appreciate, and your taste, your mental attitudes, your mental atmospheres change, and suddenly things that you were compulsively drawn to, you're not interested. Yeah, and like you know, no, this is the way it goes. If you look at into med- meditators, people who cultivate right across the field, looking very generally, you know, over a period of time, they all want uh, to live honestly. Yeah. They don't want to cheat and lie. Uh, they don't want to get drunk. Um, you know, they don't want to kill. They don't want to steal. They don't like the idea. It doesn't feel. You know, some people do clearly, and right across the line, board meditators, they soon be somewhere where it's quiet, gentle, and peaceful, rather than wildly exciting and stimulating. They don't want to go to raves. They don't want to go to orgies. They don't want to go to wild parties. They want something quiet and peaceful. Why is that? Are they all conforming to some rule? No. Because the maturation of the Dharma, certain things you no longer have a taste for. (laughs) And certain things you do have a taste for. That's the way it goes. Mm. This is why association is so important. Doesn't mean you know you've got to believe this. Just associate with it. Take it in. Feel how it feels. Let your mind take it in. Drink it in. Give it some time and see. After a while, yeah, it feels not so good anymore. This is the need for that sense of wise receptivity. And so all this uh, cultivation, a lot of it is occurring at a fairly quiet, subtle level. It's not the uh, heavy, forceful doing. It's something, it's a gradual changing of taste, reflecting, considering, putting aside, inclining. And that over a process of time is called the maturation process. And maturation isn't something that you do, it's something that occurs through staying in touch with the Kalyana Dhamma and the Kalyana Mita and the Kalyana careful attention. Careful attention, what's helpful for you now? And make that quality of, of attention something that as if a really wise and good friend is asking you. So you don't think, well, a tuna fish sandwich. No, no, no. no. <laughs> What's helpful for you now? Uh, um, feeling a little bit you know, unsteady. And maybe you should just spend some time 
grounding yourself, awareness of the sensations in your body, holding your body posture upright, contemplating until your mind feels steady. When the mind feels steady, the steadied mind, steadied body will by itself begin to discern subtle qualities because the mind has been made steady by bodily presence by mindfulness of body the mind will discern by itself with no particular effort it will begin to discern ah this is more beautiful this is calming this is enriching this is distracting by itself with just that and the encouragement to know for yourself you'll find that your mind will be will start to steer so if you're finding in your practice you're constantly having to tug your mind back to the breath which is another experience people have to get tired tugging their mind back to the breath you see every time they're tired out you can't really feel it very well so the mind runs away tug it back stick it on if you're doing that my advice as a good friend is no you're not that isn't working for you um, that isn't working for you it shouldn't be like that yeah it means that, that the proper conditions for mindfulness of breathing have not been established yet yeah. proper conditions of mindfulness of breathing as with everything association with qualities of goodwill steadying yourself in your body give yourself the time to allow that process to have its effects and so it's the way I cultivate this is what I do give it time and setting, settling putting aside what I don't need because I don't need it not because I'm tugging just enough of that enough of that enough of that pretty soon rhythm of breathing comes clear into awareness it comes it arrives it comes to me that's what happens so as, a, as a friend that's I'll tell you that's what happens for me and uh, that's what happens for me I would suggest it could very well happen for you but uh, I would also emphasize the fact that you're dealing with a living organic system you're not a machine you can't come in and say 8 o'clock bonk, switch it on here comes mindfulness of breathing in, out, in, out it's not like that this is an organic system it means you have to care for it settle it down give it the right companionship treat it carefully and with respect let it settle and feel comfortable let it feel cared for it settles down the agitation the desperation begins to recede and you find that these qualities your meditation sign will arise by itself so we're now on uh, really the end of our first day my goodness So for maturation, this is not very long at all. But of course, many of you have been cultivating for quite a long while now. But still, you recognize 
patience, settling takes time. And uh, so, what you the encouragement to do is to recollect. Remember, by being here, you're already doing a huge amount. You are keeping and guarding precepts. Hope you're making an effort to not just to do it, but to acknowledge you're doing it and to feel some of the results of that. Yeah. You're supporting, holding your bodies up, still and steady. That's doing that. Yeah. You're coming to a meditation hall and sitting still and quietly. You're doing that. That's already plenty of doing. Let those things bear fruit and abide in the qualities that arise as you open into receptivity within that. This will be for your welfare, something you can trust because it comes by itself out of the practice of Dhamma. So, offer this for your reflection.